Our text for the sermon this morning comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new Israel is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. As we continue in Advent, this third week of Advent, there are a few things in life more exciting as a child than seeing that pink candle lit, right? That means there's only one more candle between you and Christmas Eve. And I give thanks on this Advent season that we have been able to journey through a series called While We're Waiting. In it, we've been discussing the four last things, things that we do not often talk about in general, let alone on the weeks leading up to Christmas. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And as we continue in this series, I would like to preach this morning from the subject, what can we say about heaven? Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. May the word, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. I want to begin by asking, what do you know about heaven? Or at least, what do you think you know? about heaven. There are many sources in our lives that have crafted an image for us as to about what heaven is like. The movies have taught us that all dogs go to heaven. You can't go there if you have unfinished business like Casper the Friendly Ghost. And Robin Williams showed us in What Dreams May Come that we all will get these little areas of heaven that we get to craft for ourselves the way we like. Over the centuries, books have featured heaven as a part, if not the main context for their plot. Milton's Paradise Lost, where we get much of our modern image of the devil. The Shack, New York Times bestseller that offers us alternative images of the God of heaven. Or heaven is for real. The account of a young boy who suggests he briefly went to heaven in a near-death experience. Our culture and our various forms of media have done a great job shaping our images of heaven. And I'd venture to say that they've probably done a better job than the Bible. Because if I were to ask you, 
What does the Bible say about heaven? How would you answer? Do you know that I think as much as we imagine heaven to be, the majority of that image comes not from the scripture, but from other places. Do you know how the Bible describes heaven? Well, I'll give you a few examples. Real quickly, let's look at some of the most best-known instances in the Bible where we discuss heaven. In Luke, Jesus says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In Matthew, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In John's gospel, Jesus tells his his followers, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And later, Paul writes in the New Testament to the Philippians, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even be the subject of all things to himself. I could go on. There are more examples like this. There are plenty of scriptures that do reference heaven, but the Bible doesn't actually do a lot of describing the physical aspects of what heaven will be like. In the Bible, we don't get all the details as to whether we'll get harps and wings and sit on clouds. The book of Revelation, like we heard earlier from Brittany's reading, does offer some description, but it's an apocalyptic form of literature. It is meant to be mostly read metaphorically, help to create images, help to create ideas. The psalmists also do a little describing, but it's mostly poetic language used to talk about the grandeur of heaven. There's very little details in the description. The Bible doesn't go into these great details about what it will look like or be like. The Bible is much more concerned with what it feels like when we're there. What we experience in heaven. The Bible wants you to know heaven is like this, even if it doesn't say it looks like that. Which brings us to the heart of the sermon this morning. As we continue in this series during Advent, considering the four last things, I would like for us today to just consider heaven. What can we say about heaven? During Advent, we are looking forward with hope to Christ coming again. And during this particular Advent, we have already looked to see that when we die, we know that we die in Christ, which means we live in eternity. We saw last week that God's judgment should not scare us, but is a good thing that is an expression of God's love. But for the rest of today's sermon, rather than letting the movies or the New York Times bestseller shape our image of life everlasting, I want us to sit with these ideas from Scripture and our tradition and name, what can we say? 
And while there are plenty of things we could say, there are three that I find to be most helpful, particularly in creating anticipation during this season of Advent. So then what can we actually say about heaven? Well, the first thing we can say is that heaven is not so much a where, but a when. I hesitate to offer this next part of the sermon because it hurt my feelings when I first realized it, and I don't mean to hurt people's feelings. But did you know that one of our favorite old hymns actually paints for us an image of heaven that doesn't exactly line up with what we read in the New Testament? Growing up, I would play guitar while my grandfather, Wayne Bradshaw, would lead music for us. This is his wedding ring and his watch that I wear. He and I are very close. He had me trained to be a certified lay speaker, and that's how I began preaching at 14, and I would then also go with him, and we would lead worship, and I'd play my guitar, and he would lead the hymns, and one of our favorite songs to sing together is one of these old Cokesbury hymnal hymns. Perhaps you know it. It goes like this. Some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a place where God's love never ends. I'll fly away. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Now, I'm not, my aim is not to ruin this song for you. Because trust me, I'm not saying we can't sing it. I still sing it all the time because it means so much to me. In fact, even up to the time before the pandemic started, when I would go into our local nursing homes, I would take my guitar and play that song, just like I did with my grandfather. The song does give us hope that we have a home in heaven. It reminds us that God's love never ends. But the flying away part is a bit misleading. You see, there really is no notion of flying off to heaven when you die in the New Testament. In fact, for the biblical authors, there wasn't really even an idea that you would go anywhere other than where you are when you died. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, that we've used for a lot of our Bible studies and Sunday schools around here, he says this, for the early Christians, the point was not for us to go to heaven, but for the life of heaven to arrive on earth. Jesus taught his followers to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You see, there really isn't a lot of biblical basis for our souls going to hang out in the clouds. And this idea perpetuated by the Left Behind series and others that one day there will be a rapture that will take up the faithful and the rest of us will be left behind. It doesn't have much scriptural standing either. N.T. Wright goes on to say, The book of Revelation ends not with souls going up to heaven, but with the new Jerusalem coming down to earth so that the dwelling of God is with humans. The whole creation, declares St. Paul, will be set free from its slavery to corruption to enjoy God's intended freedom. God will then be all in all. Wright says, it's hard for us moderns to grasp this when so many hymns and prayers and sermons still speak of going to heaven, but it makes historical sense and sheds light on everything else that heaven comes to earth. Because of Jesus Christ, heaven broke in. We experience the kingdom of heaven because of Jesus. And through Jesus Christ, heaven will be known fully on earth one day. On the day when Jesus returns, 
and the resurrection of the dead takes place, we will experience the kingdom of heaven in its fullness. But it's better then for us to consider heaven not in terms of where, but when. When heaven is made fully known here on earth. Which brings us to the next thing we can say about heaven. Because it too is something that we can name to be true because of Jesus. Heaven's not a where, but a when. And heaven is not something that you can earn. And that's actually really good news. I thank God that you can't earn heaven. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one can boast. We are part of a tradition that leans heavily into the reality of God's grace. If you know anything about Methodism, you probably at least know that we really like grace around here. Now, I'm not saying we have the market cornered on grace, but we talk about it a lot. We talk about prevenient grace. We talk about justifying grace. We talk about sanctifying grace. We're just a, a people that believe in the grace of God. And when we talk about these things, do you realize what we're saying is that grace literally means unmerited favor. To receive God's grace means you are receiving favor that you do not deserve. It's unmerited. You cannot earn it. You and I and everyone else in this world have been given a gift, not because of who we are, but because of how good God is. And heaven is a product of God's generosity. We receive and experience the life everlasting, not because we were the most faithful or not because we were perfect. Heaven is a gift given us by God that we cannot earn, we cannot buy with our good deeds, we cannot control God gives us the gift freely because Christ paid the ultimate price. And there is nothing that you could do or pay that is bigger or better than what Jesus did. Heaven can't be earned, but I often feel like we live as if we can. We are in a society that is filled with books and classes and podcasts about self-help, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, be the best version of yourselves you can be, and that permeates its way into our faith journeys, doesn't it? I think there are plenty of times where we think, if I could just be a better Christian, then I will deserve God's love. <laughs> if we think, you know, if, I, if I'm just going to do the, the best things I can, then I will be able to get the things I want out of my faith. We call that works righteousness. That's a faith that believes that your works are the things that will lead you to salvation. And that is not what we hold to be true. We are not part of a faith that says, you are not good enough, so be better, so that you can get God's grace. We're not part of a faith that says, oh, look at the Christians that we see on Instagram. We need to be more like them. We're not part of a faith that says, go to church so that you can get all the answers and earn your heaven pass. We are a church that says, the things that we do that are of God and that are good are not so that we can earn God's grace. They're because we've already received it. Because God gave it to us first and freely. And what Jesus says 
is that no amount of work you can do is a higher price than what I have already paid. You can't buy your way into heaven. And if you think about that for just one minute, that is good news. (laughs) Because if we have to, none of us would be worthy. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We are all in need of God's forgiveness and grace. And if we had to buy it for ourselves by our own deeds, we'd all be on the outside looking in. Which sets up perfectly the last thing I want to say definitively about heaven this morning. Since we know heaven because of Christ bringing it to earth and it's something that we cannot earn, then the way we truly experience heaven, that heaven that Christ brought to us, is to make it visible to others. The last thing to say about heaven today is that you see it clearest when you show it to someone else. You see heaven, you experience heaven when you give it away. Our epistle reading earlier before this sermon said this, we are ambassadors of Christ. Here again from St. Paul, he said, therefore, if any was in Christ, the creation, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Christ, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you hear that? Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You and I are called to be ministers of reconciliation. It says, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation that we are therefore ambassadors of Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. Do you hear the magnitude of that? God, who wants to do work on this earth, who wants people to know goodness and love and all the things that we believe about God, God is making God's appeal through you and me. If people are going to experience heaven and the kingdom and the goodness and the grace, Yes, there are miraculous things that God can do that we cannot explain. But the main way that the Bible tells us God wants to do that is through you. You know how you can experience heaven? Show someone forgiveness. And like the scripture says, not hold their sin against them. That's how Christ shows it to us. We experience heaven when Christ offered us forgiveness. You know how you can experience heaven? Share with somebody the good news of Jesus. Tell them about this grace you've received. Invite them to church or your supper club or your small group. You know how you can experience heaven? Look for it in others, not in some far off future. Christ revealed to us what heaven looks like. And it looks just like Jesus. It looks like the way Jesus acted. It looked like the way that Jesus spoke, the things that he taught us about. If you want to know what heaven is like, look at Jesus. And if you want to experience it, show Christ. Show Christ to everyone. You know, we have a lot to look forward to when it comes to heaven. We believe that there will be a day when all things will be reconciled. And as we think about the end of days here, the beginning of this Christian new year, it's, it's hard to not be excited about the fulfillment that Christ will bring when heaven comes fully to earth. It's hard not to be anticipating what that will be like and dream about it. 
But the thing that makes the waiting bearable, that makes this waiting experience filled with hope, are the glimpses of heaven we get here and now. Every time somebody gives their life to Jesus, we see a glimpse of heaven. Every time you do a selfless act of kindness, every time you love your enemies, every time you serve the needy, every time you welcome the stranger, whenever you act like Christ in the world, then you are experiencing the world that is to come. So let us look forward to the time and not just the place of heaven and realize that that future reality is only possible because of God's goodness and gifts to each of us. And as we're waiting, let us look for these glimpses of heaven that we can see right here and now. And know that we are united to the saints that have gone on before us in whatever way that means. We know that together, when we all get to heaven, when we all experience heaven, what a glorious day that will be. When we're all with Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.